teenage boy gets a summer job so that he can save up some money and buy himself a truck. And so he saves his money, he buys a truck, and school starts back, and he can't work this job full time any longer. And he starts to realize that though the money went to buying him a truck, and that was great, there's still gas, there are repairs, there's insurance. And he realizes that he can't afford this truck without working. And so he tells his parents, I'm going to drop out of school so that I can work full time, so that I can afford this truck. And his parents plead with him. They say to him, this is not a good decision. This is foolish. You don't want to do this. And he listens to them, but eventually he makes up his mind to drop out of school so that he can work full time to pay for his truck. And as his parents try to talk some sense into him, his response is, look, it's a free country. I can do what I want to do. But was he really free? That's the question. There's a businessman, 40 years of age, three kids and a wife at home. He has a new secretary that he begins speaking with and getting closer and closer to, and he realizes that she actually gets him that she laughs at his jokes, that she shows him some attention that he doesn't feel he's getting at home. And eventually, he leaves his wife and his three children and begins shacking up with this new secretary. His wife pleads with him. His, his friends try to talk some sense to him. Even the preacher speaks to him about the mistake that he's making. And his response is, look, I am free to do what I want to do. This is what love does. You can't help it. But is he really free? There's a young lady that, that is having trouble at home, and so she gets on the Internet and she meets a man. And this man is someone who shows love and attention to her, and so she runs away from home, and she meets the man, and she starts living with him, and he provides her with drugs and attention and, and some things that she had never felt before, and she feels happy for once in her life. She feels like she has found true love. She also finds herself at the bottom of the barrel. This guy uses her up, and her parents plead with her to come back home. Her friends try to talk some sense into her. Everybody from the outside is trying to tell her, you're making a big mistake. And she can only respond with, look, I'm free to live my own life. Leave me alone. But is she really free? Do we really know what freedom is? Do we understand what true freedom is? Or could it be that we are just trading one form of slavery for another. It's like the college professor who broke his class up into groups, and he asked them the question, who has the most freedom? And you were to pick between three options. Number one, the person who is not able to sin. Number two, the person who is both able to sin and able not to sin. And number three, the person who is not able not to sin. And within five minutes, every group reached a conclusion. And it was the same conclusion. In fact, they wondered if maybe they were missing something because the answer seemed so obvious. Certainly, the, the professor wouldn't give them such an elementary question to ask. But they all concluded that the person who has the most freedom is number two, the person who is both able to sin and the person who is able not to sin. They reached the wrong conclusion, though, because they didn't consider, number one, the biblical meaning of freedom, 
And number two, they didn't consider the biblical uh, appreciation of sin, understanding how grievous and how heinous sin is. They just assumed the person who had the most freedom to choose was the person who had the most freedom. The person who has the most choices has to have the most freedom, right? The person who can decide for themselves whenever, however, or, or what they want to choose to do in any situation has to have the most freedom. So they reasoned that the person who had the most choices automatically had the most freedom. But is that what freedom is? Many people are living under the illusion that they are free, and yet they are still under bondage. Why is that? Well, because they don't know truth. They don't abide in truth. Listen to me, folks, and this is something important. You might want to write this down. Behind every sinful habit in your life, there is a lie that you believe. Behind every bad desire, there is bad theology. It's like the young lady who decides that she is going to move in with her boyfriend. And so they're going to cohabitate, and she has sex with her boyfriend on a regular basis, and she says to herself, you know, I mean, what difference does it make? I'm going to live with him right now, and that's going to determine if, I, if I'm going to be able to live with him in the future. And what's the problem with having sex before marriage? I mean, we're going to get married anyway. And so the, the, the lies begin to build upon themselves, and she goes further and further. Now, let's say that, that they're talking about, you know, living together long term. They're not talking about marriage any longer because, I mean, what's the use in getting married? I mean, what's marriage anyway? Who says that you have to stand before a preacher or stand before the justice of the peace and get some sort of certificate? I mean, what does that really matter? And the lies continue to build. The justifications continue to build. And so this person, this young lady, avoids any kind of contact with her friends or with her parents that try to talk some sense into her. You know why? Because they confront her with truth, and she doesn't want to hear truth. She wants to believe the lie. The lie being, it's okay that if I sleep with this guy and I'm not married to him. It's okay without, that I live with him and I'm not married to him. It's okay that we don't get married. She avoids Bible study and prayer and church because those things confront you with the truth, right? And she don't want to hear the truth. And so she starts rationalizing, well, you know, do I really need to go to church anyway? I mean, he doesn't go to church, but he's not a bad guy. Yes, he does some bad things here and there, but he's not a bad guy. And is God really going to send me to hell just because I have sex before marriage? And yet people continue to try to talk some sense into her. She pushes away her family. She pushes away her friends. Why? Because they confront her with the truth and she wants to believe the lie. And when you want the relationship bad enough, when you want to believe the lie bad enough, you'll do whatever it takes. You will isolate yourself from anyone and everything that confronts you with the truth. And here's the sad part about it, is that you can find a church in town, probably wherever you live, that's going to tell you you're okay. You will find people who are supposedly sincere, good-hearted Christian people who are going to tell you it's fine, you're okay, don't worry about the truth. Paul said this to Timothy. He said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, 
and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul is saying that a day is coming where people will prefer a lie over the truth. They won't want to hear what you have to say, Timothy. They won't want to listen to you because they prefer myths. They prefer lies over the truth. And I don't know if Paul had 2018 in mind when he wrote this, but surely we can see this playing out in our day and age. There are plenty of people in our world today who have itching ears, and there are plenty, plenty of folks who designate themselves as preachers who will scratch that itch. And folks, I, I want to take this time to tell you I will never, ever do that. Ever. Do you hear me? I will never do that. We may have a severe drop in attendance. We may run off some visitors, but I will never sugarcoat the truth or pass over the truth just to make you feel good, ever. That is not my job. My job is to confront you with the truth, always, in good or bad. But I will never, ever make you feel good about going to hell, ever. That is my promise to you. And that is what Paul is telling Timothy. Is at the end of the day, you've got to tell the truth. At the end of the day, you've got to confront the lies that people believe. And your job is not to scratch their itch. Your job is to give them what they need. Because this is all about preparation for heaven. I, I, I like what Amos had to say. I, I, I want to be an Amos. Amos chapter 7 and verse 12 Amos is told by Amaziah, basically, to shut up. Quit preaching. Stop it. And here's what he says. I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore trees, or figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord. You are saying, you shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. And basically, Amos is saying, I'm not a prophet. My dad's not a prophet. I'm a herdsman. I don't deserve to be in this position. I didn't ask for it. But God gave me something to say, and you're going to hear it. And you want me to be quiet, that's your problem, because I'm not. And by the way, your wife's going to be a prostitute, and your kids are going to die. Yeah, that's part of it as well. You know, I kind of relate to this, because I, I think I was coaching kids and yelling at referees, and now all of a sudden I'm in this position. I didn't ask for this. I didn't go looking for this. I never thought that this would be my lot in life, but here I am. People say, well, would you ever go back to coaching? I can't. I can't do that. I'm where I'm supposed to be. Like it or not, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And by the way, I love it, but this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I've got a message. 
God has laid that on my heart. It's my job to tell you the message, to tell you and confront you with the truth. doesn't matter if I like it or not or if I want to do it or not. I have to. You can tell me to be quiet, but that's not going to happen. I love the message of Amos to Amaziah. I'm not going to be quiet. You need to hear this. Everyone needs to hear that. That's why I'm here, because I love God, I love His truth, I love His people, and therefore I want His people to love what God loves. And there is far too much justification and rationalization out there for sin because people want to believe a lie more than they want to be confronted with the truth. And my job and your job as Christians is to confront people with the truth. Far too many people in our world, even in the religious world, are enabling bad desires through bad theology. And as a result, they never experience true freedom. Listen to the words of Jesus. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So the son, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. Jesus is speaking to Jews who believed him. That's rare, isn't it? And they're saying to him, what do you mean? We are free. We're Abraham's descendants. I mean, our heritage, we're we're Jews. We are free, which is interesting because... When you study the Jews' history of slavery, I mean, they were even beholden to Roman uh, authority even at the time that Jesus was walking the earth. But yet, they're saying, we are free. What are you talking about being free? And Jesus says, oh, no, you're not free. You think you're free, but nobody's truly free. No one sitting in this auditorium this morning is truly free. No one in the world who cares nothing about God or Jesus is really free. The atheists, none of them, none of them are free. Everyone serves a master, everybody, no exception. No one is truly free. Sin is a master, but Jesus is a master as well. You've just got to decide what master you're going to serve. But be careful, because only one can give you freedom. Before anything can change in your life, and you might want to write this down too, before anything can change in your life, You must know and confront the truth. We must confront the lies that we believe. Is what you say about your finances true? Are the justifications true? What about your relationships? What about the things that you say about yourself? Is the way that you think about the past the truth? I mean, when you take what you think and you examine it against God's word. Is it true? And if it's not, are you ready to change? You may think to yourself, it's just images on a computer. I mean, it's not hurting anybody. It's really a victimless crime. I mean, it's okay if I look at it. I'm not hurting anyone. You may think to yourself, well, it's just a few drinks. I'm certainly not an alcoholic. You may think to yourself, 
I love this person, therefore it doesn't matter if they're married, doesn't matter if I'm married, love wants what it wants. You may think to yourself, I am no good and I will never be good enough to deserve God's grace. He could never forgive me for all that I have done. Folks, none of those are true. Those who think this way have chosen to believe a lie. And the question becomes, what will you do when you're confronted with the truth? Because there are many people in our world, even Christians, who want to believe the lie so bad and the lie is so embedded in their heart that they're not willing to confront the truth. And you try to confront them with the truth, and you may be ostracized, you may be in for a fight. Let me give you some dates. December 18th, 1975, October the 6th, 1984, and December 20th, 1996. You know what all those dates have in common? Any guesses? All those dates represent a day in which an eminent evolutionary scientist died. October the 6th, 1984, it was George Gaylord Simpson. December 18th, 1975, it was Theodosius Dobzhansky. And on December 20th, 1996, it was Carl Sagan. All three of these gentlemen were eminent scholars. They were, they were lauded and praised for their, their brilliance. And they were. They were very well respected. They were brilliant men. But if you're like me, you wonder how someone who possessed such obvious talent and such undeniable brilliance could spend a lifetime defending a concept as false as organic evolution. These men all died without hope because they chose to invest their entire lives in a lie. How sad is that, right? I don't know if they considered the biblical evidence. You would think any scientist worth his salt would, ex would examine all the evidence, right? Every single bit of it, not just the stuff that agrees with you. I don't know if they did that. But at the end of the day, they died without hope because they chose to believe a lie. What lie are you believing? Are you believing a lie at this moment? Are you basing your faith on a lie? Are you wagering the salvation of your soul on something that is not true? And if so, are you willing to confront it? Because transformation starts with truth. The Bible exists, at least in part, to shape our choices and thus to assist us in becoming more like Jesus. Take special note of what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So what you have here is a fourfold purpose of scripture. Remember, scripture, as we talked about a few weeks ago, is inspired. It's God-breathed, theonoustos. It came directly from God. And there's a fourfold purpose, doctrine or teaching which is what is right. You have reproof, what is not right. You have correction, how to get right. And you have training in righteousness, how to stay right. That's the fourfold purpose of Scripture. If all the Bible is God-breathed, and it is, then all the Bible must be truth. Every piece of Scripture is intentional. Every verse contributes to a meaning. And all of it exists to shape who we are and how we function in this life so that we can be with God in the next. Proverbs 22, 22 and 23. Listen to your father who begot you, 
and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. How important is truth? Well, when it comes to truth, we must be buyers and never sellers. Always buyers, never sellers. Unfortunately, truth is not highly coveted in our world today. Opinion supersedes fact. Relativism has become a religion. Feelings override biblical authority. We live in a day and age where truth is being sold like it's a cheap trinket at a weekend garage sale. But the Bible presents truth as something that you go all in on. You only buy and you never sell. Because it's an all or nothing investment. You cannot afford to sell even a portion of it. Because in a world that ignores and devalues and compromises and sells the truth, we must be truth believers, we must be truth sellers, or excuse me, truth tellers, and truth livers. We've got to buy it, not sell it. We believe it, we tell it, we live it. In John chapter 18, we find Jesus standing in the praetorium in front of Pontius Pilate, and Pilate believes he's in control. I love, I love this scene in John chapter 18 because you can just tell. You can read between the lines and you can sense Pilate sticking out his chest and thinking, I've got Jesus here in front of me and I'm in complete control, which nothing could be further from the truth. The only reason that Pilate had any control is because Jesus let him have it. Jesus could have caused a lightning bolt to come down and strike him and turn him into dust, but he doesn't do that. He allows him to have authority in that moment. And Pilate asked an eternally important question. He says, what is truth? And that's interesting because it was standing right in front of him, wasn't it? What is truth? That's, that's an important question for our time. Do you know how many in our world would answer that question today? They would say, well, truth is open to interpretation. Truth is measured by your own standard. Truth is subjective by nature. However, those responses only highlight our ignorance when it comes to understanding truth. Truth is that which conforms to reality, whether in the physical realm or the metaphysical realm. That's what truth is. It can be nothing else. Truth is that which conforms to reality. Water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Dallas is east of Abilene. I am a male. There's no arguing that. You can argue that, but you only perpetuate your ignorance because those are not arguable things. You can't debate those. Oh, you can try, but you only show your ignorance because truth is restricted by nature. That's what truth is. It's exclusive by nature. Truth is absolute by nature. If it's not those things, then it's not truth. So this idea that truth cannot be absolute, no, it has to be absolute because that's what truth is. People say, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth. If that's true, it's false. That's the ridiculousness of this mindset. If there is no such thing as absolute truth, that is absolute truth. Because truth can only be absolute and exclusive by nature. But I want you to notice something. In Scripture, we see truth as absolute and restrictive as well. As I said, what is true in the physical is also true in the metaphysical. In other words, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, we can take that as an absolute truth statement. Acts 4 and 12, for there is 
salvation under no other name that has been given among men under heaven. Right? That's a truth statement. Scripture never refers to my truth or your truth. It always refers to the truth. Again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. These are absolute truth statements. God did not ask our opinion on any of this. Because truth is not a ballot measure. We don't get to vote on truth. Our only obligation is to obey the truth and to follow the truth. And when we disobey the truth, we do so at our own peril. It reminds me of the college philosophy professor who gave an assignment to his students, and one student turned in a paper on the relativeness of truth. Truth is an imaginary concept, the, the student wrote. What is truth to one person is falsehood to another. He got an F on the paper. He was incensed, and he came and he questioned the teacher. What do you mean by giving me an F? And the teacher says, this paper was copied. I got the exact same paper, same wording and everything three years ago. And the student said, that's impossible. I did all this on my own. I did my own work on this. And the professor said, the paper's your own work? And the student said, yes, absolutely. I didn't copy from anyone. And if I believe you did, the professor said, he said, well, you'd be wrong. And the professor responds, so you're saying that truth is absolute regardless of what the individual believes. Well, you didn't have an answer. How do you respond to that, right? The professor takes the paper, smart, marks out the F, gives him a D minus. He said, at least you learned something. Truth is exclusive by nature. It is absolute by nature because that is what truth is. If it weren't exclusive, if it weren't restrictive, then it wouldn't be truth. And it's amazing to me how many intelligent people attempt to pass this off or write it off, saying that truth is subjective or relative. Truth can never be subjective or relative. It is either the truth or it's not. And what determines truth is that it is absolute. It is restrictive. It is narrow by nature. We may not like it. But you know why people don't like the truth being absolute or restrictive? You know why they don't like it? Because they want to believe the lie. We don't like to have our lies confronted with truth. And so when we have bad desires or when we want to live in a bad state, we've got to justify it with bad theology. And there's probably no worse theology than, the, than saying that truth is not absolute or that it's subjective or that's ridiculous i can listen to you on some things and i can maybe hear you out and say okay i, I see what you're saying that's just terrible terrible argumentation truth is exclusive it is absolute because that's what it is it can't be any other way right but here's the thing we can know the truth, we can know that it's absolute, we can know that it's restrictive, we can know that it's narrow by nature, but at the end of the day, we have to invest. Just knowing about it's not enough. Let's go back to John chapter 8. He says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Many people assume here that Jesus is talking about doctrine. 
That's not all he's talking about. And we're too narrow if we, if we make our focus only about doctrine. Because notice what else it says. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been born, uh, never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The truth that sets men free is a who. Not a what. And so if we narrowly focus on doctrine as being the only thing that sets us free, then why did Jesus have to die? If it's only doctrine we need to worry about, then why did Jesus go to the cross? John 1, 17, grace and what were realized through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Jesus is truth personified. Truth is a who. Pilate missed it. It was standing right in front of him. He asked the question, well, what is truth? And Jesus could have very easily have said, me, I am. So it's not just about doctrine. It's not just about believing right things. It's about investing in Jesus, following in his footsteps. That's truth. Truth is a person. And therefore, truth is not just about how you live, but who you live for. You want freedom, then you live for Jesus. My doctor is David Longley. David, you can confirm that I went to you last year for a checkup, as I do every year, and you told me what? You told me my numbers looked what? I want him to hear it from your mouth, not mine. You said my numbers look what? No, you said perfect, didn't you? I think that's what you said. I think you also said I have the body of an Olympic athlete. Didn't you say that? <laughs> yeah, okay. So imagine that I go to David, and David tells me your numbers are perfect. You are the picture of health. You have the body of an Olympic athlete. You're going to live to be 120. And I walk out of his office bounding on air because I'm the picture of health. And I go home, and later on during the day, I start having chest pains. And the pain starts shooting down my right arm. And it gets worse and worse. And I figure I need to go to the emergency room. And so I go to the emergency room, and the ER doctor tells me, you're having a heart attack. Not only that, you have three arteries that are over 90% blocked. And I said, that can't be right. You must, have done the wrong t you must have done the test on the wrong person. That's not me. I'm the picture of health. I just went to my doctor, and he goes, oh, you're, you're not the picture of health. I said, my numbers are perfect. No, your numbers aren't perfect. They're awful. You got triple-digit cholesterol. I mean, you're, you're terrible, in terrible shape. You're a jelly donut away from dying. <laughs> and so they go in, they put in stents. I get over the heart attack. And after a while, I go back to Dave, and I go, David, what's the deal, man? We're friends. You told me I was the picture of health, and I had a heart attack. And what if David responds and says, you know, Chris, uh, I found it best not to tell people all the bad stuff. I mean, it, it tends to be bad for business. And I kind of want to see people leave my office happy. Now, David and I are good friends. But I'd have a problem with his reasoning, wouldn't I? You would, too. You'd have a problem with that kind of rationale. Because you expect your doctor to tell you the truth, even if it's painful, right? Even if it's not something that you want to hear. Because when something matters to you, you want the truth. 
And so I ask you this morning, how much does your soul matter to you? Are you willing to believe a lie all the way to hell because you don't want to confront the truth? Are you willing to base your entire livelihood on bad theology? Are you wanting everyone around you just to tell you you're okay? Well, if that's why you're here this morning, you're not going to get that from me. I don't know everyone's situation this morning, but I want to encourage you, if you are believing a lie, if you have invested in a lie, confront the truth. Be right with God. That's more important than anything else you could ever want in life. I want to see you in heaven. Take care of it this morning. If you have a need that we can help you with, I want to encourage you this morning to stop believing the lie. Stop basing your faith on bad theology. Confront the truth. If you need the prayers and support of this church family, let us help you. If you're ready to do something about your sinful condition, maybe you realize I'm serving the wrong master. Let's set up a Bible study. Let's talk about that. Maybe you're ready to start a daily walk with God. You're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Whatever the need is, don't leave here this morning without being right with God. Clinton's going to lead us in a song. If you have a need, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.